I'd like to look, I'd like to make a Don't clear distinction here today. Who is behaving like animals and who is behaving rationally? We're using words! Who is using a palm tongue? Like the person yelling, oh God, I don't, like, I think that that isn't respectful to you. Sure. And I, so what, I don't agree with that. I want respect. Yeah. How do you know that's okay? What we're asking for is you to extend that same logic. Just follow me here real quick, okay? Just extend that same logic to the unborn child. Yeah, I understand that argument. That's, that's a valid point. We're saying we should respect the child. That's all we're saying. Okay. All right, let's just take a look at this real quick. So the argument that's being brought up is... We should be respecting one another. Uh, our laws should be respecting each other's bodies. If you notice, uh, look at her sign. Take a look at her sign. It says, keep your laws off of my body. And what's interesting is we're saying we need to provide mutual respect for one another, right? And we would totally agree with that. We believe very strongly that we ought to respect one another. The scriptures teach us that. However, what we're asking here, if you notice, I push her a bit further. I say, we we're asking that you as a woman extend that same respect to the unborn child and why are we asking them to extend the same respect to the unborn child what we're saying is a child is unique in the womb that from the point of conception they're a unique person a unique individual what this all boils down to guys is just a argument about when people become people when is a person become a person is a human a human a human person from the point of conception and if that's the case then we want to make sure that the laws also respect the body of the child it's a very simple argument but 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 what? So we respect that. You understand that logical reasoning. You think that we should honor that. But let's listen to the but. Okay, but there is a line when the, the child can't survive without, okay, and an atopic pregnancy, rape, incest, that all happens. Those are very common arguments. Can I respond to you? Uh, we should respect all of these things about the child, but until they can survive outside of the womb, but things like threatening the life of the mother, but things like rape and incest, an exception should be given to these circumstances. And as Christians, we need to disagree with that. But yeah. do you expect those women to do what you say and what your religion tells them to do with their body and their baby? Okay, now listen. Um, we have a lot of competing beliefs you know, we want to use religion. We can use religion interchangeably, but listen, guys, like when someone says you're trying to take your religion and tell other people what to do with their bodies. Well, I mean, we can interchange that exact same thing with you're taking your belief system and trying to tell other people to what to do with their bodies, including that of the unborn. So there's competing worldviews here. When, what we mean by worldview is what we believe about reality, what we think about ourselves, who and what we are, and how we should live our lives. Everyone possesses those, fundamentally speaking. So if we want to use the terms religion or a belief system, people are imposing their views and their beliefs on one another's, and that's how laws are made. That's how laws are made. So there's some form of morality being imposed here, no matter what. Someone's religious beliefs, whether they want to acknowledge them as religious or not, doesn't matter. Some fundamental beliefs are being imposed on someone else. Every law entails some belief about reality, who and what we are, and how we should live our life. Can I respond to that? Yeah. Okay, yeah. I, I think you bring up points that are very common. It's nothing that, that we're unfamiliar with. So in situations where it's like the 1%, the 3%, uh, rape, incest, uh, ectopic pregnancies, right, where it's going to endanger the life of the mother, um, we would say that there are biblical answers for all of those things. And you, you mentioned like not imposing religion upon one another. That's what's happening here just as much as us sharing our thoughts. Right? That's what sucks is because like these people, like, I don't want them represented me because I personally believe in God. I was a Christian, I was I was a Catholic, but I'm not anymore. 
believer. I believe in Jesus. I believe in God. And I've read the Bible multiple times. And that's why I don't believe in church. So interesting enough, it's I believe in Jesus. I believe in God. And this will come up later in the conversation. But I don't go to church anymore. I've read the Bible a number of times. I feel I have a really good grasp on who God is, who Jesus was. And it's definitely not the God that you're representing. As a matter of fact, this gal, we didn't have a recording equipment set up right away, but she jumped in right as we got everything set up. We were saying, we're here to share the gospel. We want to engage with you on the issues of pro-choice and pro-life. We want to talk about abortion and we want to talk about it from a biblical worldview. She immediately jumps in on the microphone, asks if she can speak and quotes Leviticus. Leviticus 18, calling us false prophets. Now, what's interesting is, as I press her later, as you'll see in this conversation, is that she has a privatized faith, a privatized belief in God, as she describes it as her personal relationship. And when I pressed her further, as will be seen here down the road, um, she doesn't really have a way to challenge us uh, about false prophecy. She has no real way to say that what we're saying is wrong. She just... In the end, it's her opinion against ours. She just doesn't like it. That's it. Point For that me, I want to bring up because, like, I was I was a rape baby, okay? Which and I know, God, you're here today. but like, my childhood was a piece of shit. She's alive and here today. And when I press her further and ask her, I say, "So, I mean." Here you are telling us that you're the product of some horrible thing. We would say it's a horrible event. Uh, biblically speaking, we believe that the rapist should deserve the death penalty. Uh, the child should not be given the death penalty for the actions of the father, of course. And so what's interesting is as I asked her and I pressed her and I said, hey, well, aren't you happy that you're alive today and your mother didn't kill you? And she had a horrible life upbringing, um, very broken household. Obviously, the circumstances were horrible, but she even admitted in the end that she is glad that she's alive today. And so here we have someone who is actually the product of rape arguing that children should be put to death for the actions of the father, that women who have been raped should actually have the choice to actually kill their children. So we would never say, can I provide the rape? Yeah. Listen, and I'm sorry that your mother was raped. That's a horrible thing. Right. horrible. Ma'am, ma'am, calm down. So my whole life, I got scorned for being the child that was produced with rape. I was told all the time that I looked like my father. And yeah, and I've, I've gone through a lot of therapy for it. And like, I love who I am. And like, I'm We love who you are. I'm glad at the same time I am glad I'm alive. I'm glad at the same time I am. I'm glad I'm alive. Okay, listen. So here she is admitting that she's glad that she's alive. Of course, you know, having grown up in a rough circumstance, um, having to live with the idea and thought that she is the product of rape. That's that. That's obviously not an ideal situation. We would say that under the correct circumstances, the proper circumstances, people would never be born of rape, but it happens. It's just the reality of the world that we live in. People do evil things to one another. But we would say that under proper biblical precedent, if, if the biblical law was being upheld, where the rapist, if convicted under due process of law, was put to death as a result of that conviction, capital punishment would be conveyed. I think the consequence of biblical law is we deviate from it. And I know a lot of people out there don't agree with this, but if we deviate from God's principles that he's laid out in scripture and said, this is what you should, this is how you hold people accountable. This is how you govern a people. This is what upholding righteousness looks like as Paul conveys in Romans 13, that the minister, right? The God's deacon, uh, the governing authority has the power to execute justice up to capital punishment. He does not bear that sword in vain, but he must do so in upholding righteousness. Well, where does the definition of righteousness come from? From scripture. God is good. It's his character. It's an extension of his character. So our legal system should reflect the character of God. And right now, obviously it doesn't. There's a lot of reform that is needed, but that's where we Christians get to go to work, right? Amen.
Let me tell you, one time I did want to die because of it. So let me say this, and, and I'm so sorry that you've gone through that. We would say, uh, in the situation of rape, biblical law would require the death penalty for the rapist, not the child, right? And so the child doesn't deserve the death penalty for the actions of the father. One. Two, rape is horrible. You can never provide. The reason the death penalty exists in the Bible for a rapist is because there can be no reconciliation for the mother. I what you're saying, and as much as I want to support what you're saying, it's just the fact that, like, it's a nine-month process that a woman has to carry, and like still, I can't be the life that I have. Can I, can't, I ask you a question? I can't do anything Are you that glad I want to do. Life I mean, yeah, I'm yeah, glad I, because I I made my life for me. No one else did that for me from my choices. But you're you're precious in the eyes of God in the sense that you've been made in His image, and you're just as much your mom's child as you are the rapist's child, your father's child. No, I, he's my sperm donor. Well, I'm, I'm saying you're you're a product of that action, even though that action was evil. Yeah, so what I mean by that, the action itself is not bad. I'm saying that God designed sex for the purpose of procreation. That's a very good thing, structurally speaking. The problem is, is when someone violates the other person outside of the covenant of marriage by forcing them to have sex with them. That's And the reason why uh, I bring this up here briefly, but I don't get a chance to expound on it. The reason why death penalty uh, was to be carried out for the rapist is because no restitution, no restoration can come of it. When someone has done something like that violently to another person, restoration can, restitution can never be made. And because restitution cannot be made, uh, the exacting, the requirement of one's life uh, was a result of it. Basically what you're doing is you're submitting them to the ultimate great white throne judgment of God. And, uh, it's something that only God can exact perfect justice. You know what I'm saying? The action, the action itself is not bad. But here's the Sexuality thing. is not a bad thing. I, uh, here's the thing, though. It's like it's one thing to argue with someone that's like me, who's 23. But if a 12-year-old got raped by her father, and I know this is talking like the small percentage that it happens, but like this is something like that I would support. Like I don't support abortion up to like the nine-month point or anything like that. And I think majority here up to a certain. Can I ask you why? Okay, so here's what's really important. What we see is a huge issue when it comes to consistency, right? Um, I'm a rape, I, you know, I'm the product of, of rape. I love my life, even though it's been tough at times, I'm still glad that I'm alive. But I think that if a 12 year old was raped, they should be able to take the life of the child. There's a huge problem with that. At one point, okay, I think to better help frame this up and to better help put this into perspective, we have to ask ourselves the really tough question of when people become people. When is a person actually valued as a person? When does a person deserve equal protection under the law? And what we would say as Christians is at the point of conception because it is God's creation. God is the one who designed that child in the womb. He designed conception itself. Conception is the process by which the means by which God does his creative work. Even scientists note that it is miraculous in, in some senses that birth even happens, that conception occurs. There's this miraculous event, this flash of light, and then all of a sudden here is this unique person with their own qualities, their own particular DNA, which goes all the way down to what their eye color will be, their hair color, their height, things like personality and, and so on. A unique individual, a person that is unique in history at conception. And so we're saying made in God's image is really important. That is the value of a person, God giving and ascribing his value to us, making us in his image, making them male and female, there's gender distinction. And then the relationship, uh, that relationship is to be between a man and a woman, united as later described in scripture by the covenant of marriage, to be fruitful and multiply. And there's a culture building mandate, <clears throat> excuse me, there's a culture building mandate that extends from that. Well, you cannot build a culture and a society around an idea and a concept of where people just get to come up with their own value. People get to arbitrarily determine the value of other people based on their wants and desires or their socioeconomic conditions. 
In other words, she's going to bring up here a 12 year old that gets raped is not prepared to be a mother. And and it's an unfortunate outcome, a consequence of rape pregnancy is. And so therefore, that 12 year old girl should be able to make the decision on her own. The value of the life of that unborn child, not a person because of bad circumstances, not a person because of socioeconomic conditions that don't align, not a person because I don't want or desire to have this child. So you can see it becomes a very slippery slope when pressed. Well, I just, I believe in that it should start when the heartbeat starts. Um, okay, so here's, again, value of a person is, begins when the heartbeat begins. Why, why should we hold that position? From science and... But the, but the science points that it's a person, a unique person, at the point of conception. Okay, but then hear me out then. Like, if this is truly the problem here, I don't understand why it's a war on women. Oh, it's not a war on women. We think the little women in a woman's body should be preserved too. Listen, yeah. but like for us to eliminate everything, this is what most majority of our argument is. Yeah. If men would just get vasectomies, right? But, but that would stop the population from growing, would you agree? But why should... Does the population have anything to do with why would you want men to have mastectomies how about look can i propose something what if people just got married according to biblical standards loved one another the husband loved christ well the woman is christ loves the church and the wife loved the husband and honored the husband and they had families and they well what, what about that nature is wrong though um, well yeah of course. we would say sin because humans are sinners and like even if yeah. even you being a christian and being yeah. a believer you're a sinner too we're all sinners you know like nobody's up for that judgment and I just think that your way is bad because it's like going back to the old times, like Catholic churches and stuff like that. Why, how's it old? Listen, but making women like feel like they have to stay in their relationship because of because they have a family. Because Even it's a good thing. But what happens if their husband's abusive? We would definitely say, let me, well, I've actually, so I'm a pastor of a church and I've had to actually excommunicate someone because they're abusive to their wife. Okay. And we encourage them to divorce. I'm not talking that your church is like that, but there is churches that We church discipline them. That like would scorn the woman more for leaving Which than the is, man for abusing. Which is, you and I would agree together, that's horrifying. And that's unbiblical. We would say to that church, those leaders, they're going to be held accountable by the Lord for doing that. So what is your stance then on like emergency, um, emergency like uh, abortions? Okay, so this is really interesting, bringing up the idea. Notice it. It shifts from a woman's wants and desires, socioeconomic conditions, rape, incest, right? And now we're in this emergency situation. Ectopic pregnancy is what comes up most commonly. Now, here's an interesting thing. Just a minute, a moment earlier, uh, a gal was trying to press me with a moral dilemma, okay? Which I said was an unfair moral dilemma. And the reason why is she was giving me this ultimatum. You have to, if you had the opportunity to save, you know, uh, a born child, you know, say less than a year old, right? Six months old in one hand, and you had a zygote in the other, which would you work to save? And what's the problem with that dilemma? What she's trying to say is that the <clears throat> zygote is not as valuable as the born six-month-old child. The problem is, is that in their rationality for pro-choice, neither one of them is valuable until they dictate and determine when it becomes valuable. And so my response to her was, I would work to save both. That's what physicians should be doing. You know, according to the biblical worldview, you would do everything that you could to try to preserve the life of both zygote a develop, which just is a Latin term, a medical term coming from the Latin, deriving from the Latin for developing child, a child at various stages of development, zygote, embryo, fetus, right? And so on. We would work to save both. Now, if let's say you as a physician going to try to preserve the life of this conceived child that is developing inside the fallopian tube because, you know, as a result of an ectopic pregnancy um, and you do your best you can to try to get the, the developing child out of the fallopian tube and to plant, to seed itself on the in interior of the womb, like a natural pregnancy would ensue, then you're doing everything you can to preserve both mother and child. Now, if in the unfortunate 
occurrence, the child dies as a result of you removing it from the fallopian tube and into the, the womb. That's not an abortion. You were doing everything you could. It would be no different from someone having a heart attack, being rushed off to the hospital, you trying to revive them and they pass away. You're incapable of reviving them. It'd be the same thing. I'm trying to pursue it to the best of my ability within my capabilities and knowledge and know-how to preserve the life of this child. And so it's not an abortion. That's falsely labeled as an abortion. As a matter of fact, uh, there are many women who argue and say, it would be illegal to have a miscarriage in this line of thinking. That's not true. Miscarriages are natural occurrences that, that happen when something's going on with the woman's body or the child's or both, where the pregnancy is unviable, where the, where the body actually discharges the, the developing child, the child passes away. But we recognize and acknowledge it as a loss. Most people who have miscarriages are devastated because they wanted to have a child. They acknowledge it as a child that passed away. And so we doing the same would say no miscarriage is going to be illegal. No emergency surgery, interventional surgery is going to be illegal. It's illegal, though, to intentionally, with malice aforethought, to take the life of the child and not pursue to do everything that you can in the best interests of both mother and child. Very important. Yeah, I can speak to that. I wouldn't say they're emergency abortions. What I would say is... Like the topic Totally. Let me explain. Sometimes if like um, you have a stillborn and it's yep. completely passed through, you Which, have to have an abortion. So that's not an abortion. That's actually just passing a miscarriage. They consider it's, it's labeled as a, an abortion. We, we would say the abortion is the intentional taking of life of an alive, developing child in the womb. So that's not an abortion. So your definition of live, though, is that contraception? Uh, no, it's not contraception because it's actually removing the dead body of a child. No, I'm saying your, your, your start of life is with your, your definition of when life starts. Oh, oh yeah, conception. Not contraception. Yeah. No, sorry. <laughs> No, you're okay. So, like, uh, right yeah. after I have sex and I don't even know I'm pregnant yet, at that point I'm like, no, screwed. No, you're 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 a blessed mother. Well, that's why I'm saying I advocate for vasectomies because then it would be both of our choices to go and sign something to say now we're ready to have kids, and I think it would prevent the this argument with rape and incest because then yeah it happens and it's fucked up, but then we want to have to argue about the abortion part because now, the, the man would have had no way to impregnate. So the solution is making men have vasectomies because we want to pursue sexual pleasure instead of seeing sex in its proper context in the covenant of marriage. Do you see the problem with that? Can I answer your first question about the ectopic pregnancy? And I'll, I'll get to that one. No, because I think those are really important points. I think you raised very important points. Um, let's talk about ectopic pregnancy. So with our current modern medicine, uh, less than 3%, I believe, it might even be smaller than that, okay? Statistically, um, we can actually help either the mother and the child. We should we should be pursuing life for both. Statistically, by the way, it is around 15% of women that have any complications of pregnancy. Oh, yeah. oh sure. Yeah. Not just including a topic pregnancy, oh, but for sure. in medical purposes, only 15% of women would be affected by this sure. in a horrible way. And I'm not sure exactly how that statistics weighed. I just know the ectopic pregnancy it's in, particularly. It's in, um, it's in Haywood, 2009. It's a book um, published in a philosophy. Um, well, I'm saying those complications could be like something as simple as like Braxton Hicks contractions or a cold. I mean, I don't know what those complications. I'm saying I just don't know the, the, the standard. Yeah, right, there's anyway. so many. There might be. 15% is like the, the actual data statistical of percentage of women that would be, that would have a chance of dying if abortions are taken away. Oh, okay. For all medical purposes only. The point that I'm trying to make is ectopic pregnancies are incredibly rare. I do believe that it's like less than 3%. You know, you can check my stats on that, but it's really far as far and few in between. The problem is, is they take this danger to the woman argument, that pregnancy is potentially dangerous to the woman argument, and they want to expand it to abortion on demand for anything, no reasoning whatsoever. That's the problem here, folks. People who we speak to outside of Planned Parenthood or in situations like this out here at Acacia Park uh, at a pro-choice rally or on college campuses boast in their abortions. They, they boast in how they killed their child. They know that they're doing it. They know that.
So when someone comes with the passion argument of, well, this could possibly affect my life. I had a, a gal later uh, <clears throat> also share how upset she was that if she went back to Oklahoma, knowing that she has the high probability of having an ectopic pregnancy because it runs in her family. Many of her family members have had them in the past because it runs very high in her family that the way that the law is structured in Oklahoma, she would actually go to jail for attempting to rescue an ectopic a child being developed in, you know, during an ectopic pregnancy and that child dying as a result. That's not true. Again, that goes back to the earlier point of we would not consider someone a criminal uh, convicted of murder for trying to uh, properly handle an ectopic pregnancy by pursuing the life of the child and the mother ever. So that argument needs to be thrown away. However, it, it is those, it is this very position that stood upon where the ground is being opened up to they're, they're arguing from this point to open up the ground for any possible abortion to be done, no matter what, we just don't have a right to speak to what a woman does with her body during a pregnancy. So what I would say, being, uh, so scary. To I totally agree. And in our modern day, you know, I would say even a hundred years previous is even more scary. But I'd say in modern medicine now, we actually can preserve the life. We should. Let me let me just answer the question generically. Biblically speaking, we should be pursuing the life of both mother and child. Both. And if and if it, by if they can't preserve the life of both, um, and by chance the the baby dies while they're trying to preserve it, then I understand. Yeah. I mean, you're trying to actually do what's in the best interest of both. See, I think you're on the same page here, but yeah. that's that's like one of the reasons why we're fighting. Like, yeah, there's so many like, you know, like, so what do you, what's the word to use? Like, uh, controversial, I guess. And I think that's the point is to like riot us. But like, we're just trying to like fight for those instances. You know, it sucks that it's like a generalization. Because like I said, it's like, I don't think anybody here truly supports like someone deciding at eight months well, that they just I mean, don't want a baby anymore. I'm not sure if you're familiar with this, but there's a few states right now, and ours included, yeah. that would be willing to do it 28 days after the child is born. 28 days after the child is born. 28 days. So if like there's complications, there's something going on with the child, they're advocates but for actually... Isn't it, isn't it like not a choice though? Like doesn't need to be a medical thing for them to have an But even so, that's where I'm saying with that, let's say, you know, that ectopic pregnancy well, that's I'm and saying that 28-day-year-old baby, we're saying up to 28 days. That's just Disgusting. I mean, to take but, the life. But it's only medical. Like, it doesn't matter if it's medical or not. We should do everything we can to preserve the life. But They're actually letting children die by exposure and not helping. That's disgusting. That's something we would be fighting. Read the Bible. I'm like, okay. And that, but I, I don't think that you understand like the choice that goes behind deciding that in the first place. Like, so we would say that's not even a choice that someone should have. But unfortunately, it is. A doctor comes to you and says your baby is going to die. But we're saying that we they can should either do the keep. Best. Yeah, we can keep it on life support yeah. until it dies, yeah. or we, like can, we, we can let it die gently. Yeah. No, we would do that for the elderly. We need to do yeah. that for the, the least in the world. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. It needs to be consistent, because then you do euthanasia for the elderly, because now they're dependent upon us, they're, they cost a lot of resources. You know, they're going to die anyway. Let's just let them die. Well, no, but I think euthanasia actually is important if you've known somebody with a really bad disease. My brother has cystic fibrosis and is in super pain. When he when he is going to start passing away, yeah. if he wanted to be euthanized, I would fully support that because he doesn't deserve okay. to go through that pain. Now, we would say there's a standard by which we need to preserve life, okay? The standard we have is the biblical standard that all of us are made in God's image. So we would say we need to go to the fullest extent to do everything that we can to preserve the life of that person, no matter the resources. When we start giving ourselves leeway and saying, well, in this case and in this case and in this case, we start opening up slippery slopes to be able to that's a miracle, though. That's like, that's how we became liberal in the first place. Not true. Because, yeah, it is. But, okay, so when she makes the argument of, well, that's just America, though. <laughs> that's why we were, why I think she said became liberal in the first place. Absolutely not true. It's not just we get to make decisions and do what's right in our own eyes or else laws wouldn't exist in the first place, right? Laws exist to uphold peace in society. Think about it. Like, why? Police officers are called peace officers. 
We want to maintain peace in society. We want to be able to protect property in society. So part of the problem that she's running into here now is, well, um, you know, it's just their choice. We live in America. They should be able to do it because we live in America. Just because it's in the law doesn't make it right. Not all laws are just. We would say Roe versus Wade was an unjust court precedent, unjust ruling. Because of that, it has opened up the floodgates for millions of children to be destroyed under the name of science and what's in the best interest of the woman, which is horrible. We'd say that's a bad interpretation. It is unrighteous and it should be overturned. When the problem is, if you say, well, that it's, we just live in America. This is just the way things are. And again, I, I, I hate using this example, but it's true. Then you would have to say those in Germany were not guilty of destroying millions of people during the Holocaust. They were not guilty of that. Why? It was just the law. There were some people who literally said when interviewed and when, when, when we're on court trials, they said we were just following orders. They had a legal system that said it was acceptable to exterminate a certain group of people. We have a, a legal system that says it's appropriate to exterminate a certain group of people. That doesn't make it right. We became libertarian. Libertarianism is actually what we were destined to be. And now, but now we're more liberal because we have the government involved in everything because we can't handle ourselves. We can't make decisions for ourselves. Which is and that's It's true, actually. I think it's human nature. People need to be governed, but not not in every sense. Like we're very capable of making. We just don't want to. Lazy, exactly. Exactly. But that's what I'm saying. We can never have a utopia because not everyone's going to participate. You know. I think that she raises a really good point here. We're not going to have an, a, a utopia, this ideal setting, because not everyone is going to participate. Think about what it would require to have peace on earth. What would it require to have peace in society? And I'm talking about perfect peace, the biblical principle of Shalom, where everything is restored back to wholeness again, where it's perfect in terms of relationships. What would that require? It would require an ultimate law an ultimate governance of that law, an ultimate judge who held all accountable to that law. And that is exactly what the gospel is. It's, it's telling people, and it's a command, to repent and turn to Christ, to repent and believe the gospel. The gospel is the good news of God's kingdom. And Jesus Christ is king. He is seated on the throne and will ultimately judge everyone. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess him as Lord. And because he's seated on the throne, because he has conquered sin on the cross and ascended to the throne, resurrecting after the third day of being buried from the cross, because he's seated on the throne now presently, he is judging all nations by virtue of the church proclaiming the good news of his kingdom. We are telling everyone in the world, Jesus Christ is king. And we, have, we owe our obedience to him. And so those who don't will be held accountable by Jesus ultimately in the end. And those who rebel and continue in their rebellion, die in their sins, will ultimately face him and be cast into hell for all eternity. That is exactly what the Bible teaches. You don't just get to do whatever you want, make up your own law system and do what's right in your own eyes and expect no judgment on the other side of this life. So that is the harsh reality of what the Bible teaches. Christ is king. Everything as he said, everything in heaven and earth is his. And we are commanded to go to all the nations to baptize in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, and to disciple the nations. Disciple them based on what God teaches in his word. And, what, and discipleship looks like us exposing the darkness of people doing what's right in their own eyes. Exactly what this gal is explaining now. And what's interesting is she is preaching really to me her gospel. She's preaching what she, what she believes about reality, what she believes the way that we should live our lives, how she believes society ought to be governed, right? What she believes utopia would look like. The question is, is who's right ultimately in the end?
And I think it's the same thing with like the religious matter and stuff too. I think that you're just going to have to come to an accepting that you're not going to have everyone follow you. Oh no, we know that. Jesus actually said that. Yeah. Jesus said we had to face incredible persecution but for what we're sharing. This what, what I think though is what you just said actually. I think that by you doing this as a Christian, yeah. you're literally condemning yourself because, oh. well, I don't think that Jesus, I think that Jesus actually warned us about prophets like you guys. I'm not even going to lie because you guys you, to go preach the gospel. No, because you guys are condemning people. We're not. You They're are, already you condemned. Are, you're percussing. You're <laughs> just literally what you said. But they're already condemned. I don't understand how you, I don't believe, I don't believe that you believe in God. I oh. truly don't. I actually believe you do. I believe in God. I do. Okay, then who is this God? My God. Who is it? How can we know your God? Exactly. Okay, so here we are running into that problem that I shared earlier. It's just my beliefs or my beliefs, your beliefs or yours. And how dare you impose those on me when that's what she's doing. She's imposing her beliefs just as much on me as I am on her. We're both making judgments about one another. She said that I'm a false prophet. She said that she believes that I actually don't believe in God, that I'm definitely not a Christian, certainly not the way Christianity is taught in the, in the Bible. But again, when I press her and I say, who is this God? Well, it's my God. It's my personal God. Right. A God that she has made up in her own image. It's called idolatry. It's exactly what scripture speaks against. There's only one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit represented in Jesus Christ in the flesh on earth. That is what scripture teaches. And so if you reject that and say, well, <clears throat> you know, I don't, I don't agree with that per se. I have my own God. Well, yeah, you're right. You're exactly right. That's called idolatry. You're an idolater. You're making up a God in your own image and you're worshiping it instead of the one and only true God. Paul talks about that in Romans, Romans chapter one, right there towards uh, the end in his indictment. He says that they exchanged the truth for a lie and worship the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Then he goes on to explain the result of giving them over to the darkness of their mind and heart. A judgment, the, the consequence of believing in these false gods in the law of God in the first table of the commandments specifically talks about our relationship to God. You're to have no other gods before God, right? He is God alone. You're not to make them. And that's exactly what Paul says. People make up gods in their own image. They exchange the truth for a lie. They'd rather worship something in the created order than the creator himself. They love their sin. They would suppress the truth, as Paul says, in unrighteousness. And that's exactly what we're seeing here. How, how can I know your God? You can't. Because it's a personal relationship. That doesn't make sense. But because I have a personal relationship with God, I'm a kind person. I try to be a good person. And I What's goodness? What is goodness? Yeah. What do you mean? You shouldn't have to even think about it. What's good? What's goodness? What do you mean? You shouldn't even have to think about it. Well... I'm surrounded by a bunch of people who really, they, they have their own idea of what goodness might be. We know that the scriptures teach that God alone is good. Jesus himself said that. He is good. It's one of his attributes. And so God is the only one that dictates what is good and what is not, what is evil, right? And so when she looks at me and says, well, I mean, come on, you should know this, right? This should just be common knowledge. I look around and I said, well, it doesn't seem so common to everybody around me. And then what does she say? So, okay, but there's a lot of people who like, might disagree with like what the talking, definition of goodness is. I know, but like talking to you right now, just okay. not having to like cuss each other out. Why is that important in your worldview? In my worldview? Yes. Because I think it's just common sense. Like I don't, I don't know that it's common. That, there's a lot that, of people. I know, I know, and it sucks, and that's what I was saying. I don't like that some people advocate for this, but that's the thing. Those people don't believe in God. The people that believe in God, that are touched by God, they're, they're kinder, they're, they're general, generalists. Um, there's a lot of people who say that they believe in God, who believe that they are going to war for God and need to execute justice on their own by cutting people down in the name of God. And they believe that's a good thing. There are people that believe that killing people in the name of God is the right thing to do. There are people who believe that no God exists and doing what's right in their own eyes is the best possible thing to do as a matter and mode for survival. 
So goodness is arbitrary. She says, well, they don't believe in God. But she's just talking about, well, they, she has her personal God. They could just turn around and use her same argument and say, well, I have my personal God too. And you don't believe in God. I mean, and then we're just pointing fingers at each other when we really have no way of arriving at the truth. That's a problem. I mean, I think you've been very genuine. I actually think that and I appreciate this conversation. What's your name? Alicia. Jeremy. Nice to I should have introduced myself in the beginning. No, you're good. I got a little crazy there in the beginning. No, I want to be able to talk about this because okay, listen. Like, I can't talk about it over social media without someone like right. pissing you out yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, me neither. Big shocker. <laughs> me neither. It's just, it's, 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 uh, it's hard because like I understand where you're coming from and I really did used to think like that. Okay. But I think like life experiences, friendships that I've had, yeah. seeing people go through the things they have gone through and like even know it's like that percentage of those situations I think it happens more than you think like okay. you know and it just sucks because even though sex is consensual and I know on your basis it would be between a married person unfortunately that's not how 2022 works that's anymore that's why we have abortion right now that's why we have the problem of abortion but what I'm saying is like sex is consensual but ejaculating inside of me is not consensual okay you know? but, but yes it is because that's what you're asking for when you have sex. Not when that was the point of sex. Not when you have birth control. We're saying biblically, that's the point of sex. Biblically, that's okay, but I think human nature has shown otherwise. But that's because of sin. Would you agree? Yeah, but wouldn't you agree that humans are sin in the first place? No, they're not. Actually, they were not created sinfully initially. They fell. Okay, in the Bible, I agree with that. Yeah, so but they, I think also the they Bible, against God, it says. The Bible kind of ends with, in my opinion, saying everything that has been said in the past is like an amazing inspiring story and it should show us like how to live our lives but I don't think the Bible says to like follow it to a T because I feel like if you followed it to a T there's a lot of other things you would have to take into consideration that the Bible talks about there's a lot of killings there's a lot of messed up stuff there I feel like if you really read the Bible and like it sucks because like I'm a, I'm a woman perspective though and like if you just read like highlight every single sentence that talks about a man yeah. controlling a woman over something. Right. It's there's so many. Do you know how messed up it is? Okay, let me say how messed up it is. Even so, I think the Bible part of the way we can know it's authentic is because it really doesn't say like it's not trying to hide anything. Listen, the things that shamefully happen. Yeah, it wouldn't. The things that shamefully happen to women throughout history is horrible. Now, here's the thing. The beautiful thing is when God created us in the beginning. When God created us in the beginning, He says He made us in His image, and He made them what male and female. And, he, and it was good. It was very but good. Here, hear me out. There's men like you in the world okay. that are, you seem fine. Oh, thanks. But there's, there's other men, though, that, like, use this Bible as not what it's intended Correct. I would and agree. And it's like they advocate for the stuff for, like, the so human even worse sinning in my part, you know? Yeah. Like, they don't truly Some people believe use God. the Bible to do some pretty horrific things, yeah. like slavery. Yeah. Like, yeah. to commend slavery. Yeah. That doesn't make them right. Yeah. And it doesn't mean they're using the Bible accurately. See, we believe that the Bible is the Word of God. It's the very authority by which we have to measure all standards of life and faith. I disagree with that only because Why? I feel like the end of the Bible, it tells you not like it. Okay. It's interesting. It's like, uh, well, I think that we should follow the Bible, but, and again, there's the but word, right? But qualification, not everything. Well, why not? Why not everything? I do believe that the Bible has many stories that we can look back on and say, wow, the Bible really did expose a lot of horrible things that happened in history. There's a lot of things in there. We can go, man, it, it very clearly reveals the depravity of our hearts, what people are capable of doing when given over to the destructiveness of their hearts. What do we see throughout all of redemptive history is God revealing his ultimate re plan to restore all things in Christ. That is the conclusion of the new Testament Christ's victory in history. And so as, as Paul says in Colossians chapter one, that he will, the Christ will redeem all things by the blood of his cross, all things. That means everything in heaven and earth, whether invisible or visible, physical, right. Or not everything will be restored and redeemed ultimately in Christ. Uh, Paul says the created order itself groans awaiting for our redemption, for, for us being made new, for us being restored. And so if creation itself is groaning, the, the created order itself is groaning and awaiting our redemption, the glorification, right, of, the, of those redeemed, then there's something to be said about what's going on right now in the world 
And the Bible constantly exposes those things. The Bible is very transparent about the reality of the wicked hearts of people. And so if we don't take it in its totality and don't look at all the stories and how they are intertwined together and the beauty of what's conveyed in redemptive history. Yeah. If you want to take things out of their context and then use them as a tool uh, to uh, do evil things to other people, which many people have done in the past. Many cult leaders have done those things in the past to abuse, to weaponize the text of scripture against other people, to enslave people, to abuse relationships uh, the way that they were structured. We would agree with that. We'd say those are horrible things. But the Bible is very clear and very transparent about those things and what we're to do uh, in avoiding them. And so she makes very valid points. I think that um, she makes some very good points, actually. But when you make when you say things like, um, I think that the Bible has a lot of very good things in it, but then there's some things, you know, we can't just follow it wholesale then you have to ask yourself the question, how do you determine what you should or should not follow? Is it the word of God, as Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.16, you know, good for reproof, correction, exhortation, the building up of the godly man? Is it good for that? Is it inspired, breathed by God himself and preserved by the spirit of God and kept for us, even through the hands of fallible men, even through the hands, uh, the, the voices of fallible teachers? Can God still use a crooked stick, if you will, let's say a false teacher and strike a straight blow? I believe he can. I believe he, he will use it and it will accomplish, as he says in Isaiah, its intended end. God's word will accomplish its intended end. Peter says that himself. The apostle Peter said that uh, it is by this word that we are born again. Uh, as the grass fades and the flower uh, withers, his word remains. His word will accomplish its perfectly intended end and Christ being the embodiment of the very word of God. It's a judgment on God's character to say that it won't. It's a judgment on God's character to say that God hasn't preserved it or kept it. It's a judgment on God's character to say that he is incapable of communicating with us effectively, clearly through his word. And so we have to remember that, okay, if, if that's the case and you say, well, these people, they don't really believe in God, but I do. I have this personal relationship and I try to be a really good person. I try to treat other people with respect. I try to be nice, but I think it's perfectly acceptable to kill unborn children for certain particular reasons, maybe not for others. And I think that what they're doing is they're not being very nice, but I am. Because of that, I think God has a respect for me. And there are some things that in the word of God that we should take and other things that we shouldn't. The question is, is how have you come up with all of those things? Well, it's what Paul says in the very end of it. They've made it up. They made up a God in their own image. They'd rather worship some other God that they've made up instead of the true creator. They'd rather not take his word, his perfect word and follow it and see the word for what it clearly is, that it is conveying good news to us, that it is conveying wisdom to us, that we can see hypocrisy and other people that we can make wise judgments and that we have a standard that we can point to and say, I'm in error or I am not. You're in error or you're not. And without that folks, we're lost. We have nothing. And that's exactly what Jesus said in John eight. You, you believe my word. You're my disciples. You follow my word. And what does it say? You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus in his high priestly prayer says, Father, your word is true. Set them apart. Sanctify them in the truth, in your word. It is true. It's not just the truth. It is true. And so if we don't have that as a standard to make those judgments on, really, in the end of the day, it's just people left to sharing opinions with one another and never getting anywhere. Only judging everybody. You're doing the same with me right now. Okay, I don't not. think you're shaming me. I'm not. I'm not judging you. Are you sure? I'm judging your entire religion. Right. And I'm and I'm judging all of these people. And I'm called to judge with righteous judgment. But my Jesus. religion doesn't say that I can't do that. Your religion so says that you shouldn't do this. But you made your religion up. I didn't make. I don't have a religion at all. Actually, I believe in God. Everyone's religious. So that's a religious statement. It's just a set of beliefs that I hold on to. Religion is just a set of beliefs I hold on to. Sure. Sure. We'll call it. That. But what about other religions? Are they, they don't matter. They're apostate. They reject the living God. They're living in rebellion. That's the reason you preach the good news of the gospel. 
that's the reason we preach the good, the gospel. There's a good news. And, um, yeah, so it's interesting. So there, there's a couple things that, that came up here, right? I'm not going to be like you because you're being judgmental, but we all make judgments, don't we? We all make judgments about things, about others' beliefs. The reason that she is there supporting a pro-choice rally is making a judgment. The, the, the very reason she is there is I am making a judgment about a certain thing that I believe is right and good and noble. She believes that she's holding the moral high ground by being there. Everybody around us yelling at us and screaming at us and standing behind her and holding up signs, um, you know, incensed by the fact that we would actually stand and say, you're wrong. We both believe each other's wrong. Therefore, we're making judgments about what another and what we believe. We use um, the masquerade of, well, that's a religious belief and you're not allowed to impose your religious beliefs on other people. Again, we need to come to the recognition that everyone is imposing their beliefs on others, particularly when it comes to moral issues, particularly like this one, especially like this one, when it comes to the life of an unborn child, we're making moral judgments. And so it's unfair to tell one group of people, you're not allowed to make your moral judgments because you're imposing religion on others. When that's exactly what they're doing, that is hypocrisy. I don't believe what you believe because I think that you're wrong. But then I have really no standard to say that you're wrong. I just think that you're wrong and I don't like what you're saying. When we actually have a standard and say, no, no, the word of God says that you're all wrong. You're all in error. You all have fallen short of his glory. You are made in his image. You have an obligation to uphold, protect, and preserve life. And you're not doing that. God hates the hands that shed innocent blood. He's going to ultimately hold and hold you accountable for your support of people destroying unborn children in the womb. Whether or not you agree with that, whether or not you like that. And we are called and commanded to make that judgment. Why? Because God's word brings life. It brings life and it brings light. And what does it say? In the Gospel of John, people hate the light because they love darkness. They hate the truth because they would rather defend their sin. And so they suppress that truth in their unrighteousness. And that, my friends, is exactly why we preach the Gospel. As I say here in the end, you have a king. The Gospel is this simple. You have a king who has laid his own life down for those who are his, he has shed his own blood on behalf of others so that they could have forgiveness by that blood to be atoned for, to be rescued for their sin and destruction, to be rescued really from the wrath of almighty God, from the wrath of their creator. That wrath is going to come upon everyone outside of Christ. Those who are apart from Christ, those who fail to confess Christ as their Lord and savior will face the judgment of God, the wrath of Almighty God. That is what hell is, my friends. And that's the reason why we preach. We're telling people you have a king, you owe your allegiance and obedience to him, and if you fail to do so, you will perish in your sins. We pray this has been a blessing for you, and uh, hope that uh, we can get more content out like this in the future. And I plan on hitting those uh, college campuses here locally once the weather clears up. And um, yeah, God bless you. Thanks for listening.